Hi everyone, uh, we're going to be spending some time in God's Word uh, for the next little while. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, turn to the book of James and chapter 3. And in just a moment, I'm going to read out um, from verse 13 in our series uh, in James. We've arrived at this passage here, uh, which is about wisdom. So I'm going to read that uh, for us. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So here in this passage, we have another example of, of James revisiting or developing uh, a theme or topic that has already been outlined near the beginning of the letter. Did that in regard of the tongue that Kieran helped us literally uh, look at last uh, week. That gets a mention towards the end of chapter one, where it's talking about keeping a tight rein on the tongue. And he then revisits and develops that theme at the beginning of chapter three. It's doing the same with wisdom. You might remember way back at the beginning of chapter one, looking at that uh, encouragement, that promise in chapter one, verse five saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously uh, to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Wonderful encouragement. Now, maybe we can imagine that the, uh, uh, the original hearers of James's letter, that's great encouragement, James. Thanks so much. But kind of thinking to themselves, actually, could you say a little bit more about it? And that's then what he's doing here uh, uh, later on in uh, in the letter. Now, we've coined a phrase in our household recently uh, talking about uh, transition stress. Those moments in life that just get a little bit more uh, stressful because something changes. Uh, it can happen, well, let, let me put it like this. At level one, uh, it could just be that something changed. Uh, the morning was going very smoothly, but then we check the time, we realize we've got to leave the house. And leaving the house, that change of location brings on a bit of fluster. Trying to find the right shoes, the right coat, check the weather, shout up the stairs, eventually get out the door. Okay, that kind of thing. Sometimes for me personally, everything's fine. I'm totally at ease with the world and the, ease, uh, and the world is at ease with me until I get hungry um, and then I notice I'm a bit fraught or a bit more stressed. I have a few calories and think, what was I worried about? Uh, something changed, I got hungry, not a big deal, but it still has a little impact. That's level one of transition stress. Level two, and you might know a lot about this, I don't know. It's not just that something changed, but one big thing changed. Um, that could be, uh, a new job, a 
it's unfamiliar, new colleagues. I remember speaking to someone who was telling me about starting a new job in lockdown and then just trying to work out when it was no longer face-to-face in an office with colleagues, trying to work out how he knew that he was doing work to an appropriate standard, kind of getting feedback. It wasn't easy to work out uh, in a new job. Maybe that's been experienced for some. For others, it may be starting at a new school or having come to university. One big change has significantly affected your life. What seemed stable and uh, and familiar suddenly changed, uh, not to mention the implications of, uh, of, of lockdown and all the rest of it. So that can be happening. It can be happening for people who've got married and, uh, or have just had children, just had their first child. You know, sometimes in life, when we hit one big change, we might kind of sometimes disappoint ourselves because we kind of might overreact out of a bit of stress. And we look back in life and think, I thought, I thought I was more sorted in this. I thought I was more mature. I thought I was more holy, to be honest. And some of what we might think of as holiness in our life is just a reflection that our life has been quite stable. Take us out of the stable situation and uh, we realise we're not all that holy. And some muck is coming to the surface for us to... uh, uh, to deal with. If that's the case for you, then don't be surprised. Don't be too disappointed. Work through it with God and in the word of God and with prayer and with friends, being honest, being open about what's going well and perhaps what is a bit of a struggle as well. Now there's level three transition stress as well. And I think the uh, James's first hearers, the people who first received this letter, uh, they were living at level three, really. Uh, level three is not just one big change, but everything changed. Um, I suppose for them, everything changed when they gave their lives to Jesus. Um, And then not long after, when persecution came in Jerusalem, they had to run for their lives under threat of death. After Stephen had been stoned to death, it wasn't safe for a believer in Jesus to be in Jerusalem. So they fled. I mean, can you imagine? And I know for some of you, you don't have to imagine. You know what that experience is like of just getting up and we've got to go. Now you find yourselves in a very unfamiliar place, making a new life. Nothing's simple, nothing's familiar. And it must have been like that for them. Maybe they didn't have to learn a new language, but in a different culture, in a different nation, and part of a group who were perhaps just treated with suspicion. Who are these people who follow Jesus? They didn't even have the nickname Christian yet. So there's so much had changed. Um, And James is aware, maybe they're not dealing with it brilliantly. He'll go on to talk about quarrels and fighting and argument in the church amongst God's people. It's like an evidence. Trace it back. That must mean that they're not coping so well. And so he approaches that by talking about wisdom. In a way, James cuts through all the complexity. They could say, life is really complicated now. It's really complex. We're living in a different culture, in a different society. There's loads of different ideas, loads of different voices about how to live. And we're trying to work out our faith in this environment. It's so complicated. And James says, okay, I kind of hear you. But at the same time, he cuts right through it and says, bottom line is there are two types of wisdom. If you like, there are two ways of life. There's the wisdom from the world and there's the wisdom of God. And he talks about both of those 
And through this passage, talks about the source of wisdom. Where does it come from? Talks about the character of wisdom. What's it like? What are its characteristics, its traits? And then talks about the outcome of wisdom. What does it lead to? Where does it take us? What fruit grows up uh, from these two different types of wisdom, the wisdom of the world and uh, God's wisdom. So that's the subject that we are revisiting uh, today. And we'll look at those in turn. So first of all, the source of wisdom. Well, the source of God's wisdom. Because you get that a few times through the passage, the the phrase uh, wisdom from above, the wisdom from heaven. James is talking about the wisdom from heaven that's come down uh, from heaven. Now, does that sound in any way familiar? You can see that in verse in verse 17, for example, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, what's it like? Well, what's the wisdom that has come from heaven? Or can I say, who is the wisdom that has come down to us from heaven? It's Jesus. It's him. He is God's wisdom revealed. Come to us. That's why we can read uh, things like uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and what Paul writes there about Jesus reading from verse 22 says there Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God Christ the wisdom of God in his life, in his ministry, in his death and resurrection, in all that he's done for us, he demonstrates God's wisdom. And he goes on to say something similar in in verse 30 of the same chapter. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and, uh, and redemption. So God the source of, of wisdom, God only wise, he's revealed that wisdom in Jesus. Therefore, we see Jesus and we hear Jesus and we receive him into our lives and we receive God's, uh, God's wisdom. Now, I'd like us to explore the wisdom of God by just dipping in now and again to another passage in the Bible in Luke chapter 9. So I've been in, in Luke, uh, Luke's gospel in my own uh, devotional times with the Lord and uh, just struck uh, afresh by reading through this uh, this passage. You might be familiar with some of it. Uh, so Luke chapter nine uh, and looking at the transfiguration, what do we see about the wisdom of God there um, and how to live uh, with the wisdom of the Lord? Well, uh, what's happened is that Jesus has gone up a mountain with three of his disciples and there on the mountain, he is transfigured. He's He becomes uh, radiantly glorious, beaming, like heaven is shining on him. A special moment that just reveals to those three disciples look, here is the one, he's come from heaven. This is no ordinary man, this is no ordinary teacher. And we're told that uh, two others appeared with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And And then we find this intriguing point. So this is Luke chapter nine, verse 33. As the men were leaving, Elijah and Moses, 
As they were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. And to us, that can just seem properly random. What was Peter thinking? And we can try and think, well, is that trying to kind of contain a special moment? Well, maybe for Peter, it didn't seem all that random. Uh, for, for the Jews, they had three special festivals every year. And one of them was this, the festival of booths, the festival of tabernacles, which is basically about creating shelters and remembering how God had delivered them. In the Exodus, you know, with Moses' help, God delivered the people out of Egypt. With Elijah's help, God had delivered people from idolatry and worshipping Baal in the days of an evil king. And now in Jesus' day, they can see another deliverer has come. And, and so Peter wants to make three shelters, almost putting the three of them on an equal level. Jesus on a par with these other great deliverers. And that's the wisdom of the world. For those who don't believe in Jesus, Jesus can be just a, a religious figure on a par with other ones. Well, we might be interested in what he had to teach or say, but in the same way, we might be interested in Hare Krishna or uh, 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 the prophet Muhammad or, or, or Buddha. They've, they've all got something slightly different to say, but they're all on the, basically on the same par. That's the wisdom of the world. And if that creeps into the church, what can happen is, yeah, we, we, we go to Jesus if we've got a problem that we think Jesus can help with, um, something that's clearly uh, spiritual. Um, but in other areas of life where we might be wanting or seeking wisdom, um, we don't consider Jesus and we turn to something else. We just want to find another great deliverer, something that can sort us out. And it's not that there isn't valid help that we can receive on the earth. But let's not think of it uh, in that way and just live narrowly as if Jesus, well, he doesn't understand uh, raising kids. He doesn't understand marriage because on the earth he wasn't married and he didn't have kids. So uh, so I just go into a secular area for that. Or I'm going to I'm going to work and I'm I'm kind of basically encouraged to keep my faith, just leave my faith behind at the door. Um, and so as I go to the workplace, I'm operating by a completely different way of thinking. And we can live like that if we're not careful, because that's the message that comes to us from the world. Leave your faith at the door. Don't make it public thing. We don't want to live with that mindset, though, that then just reduces Jesus down to, to a great influence. One of many things we could try out. No, in every area of life, for all of us, the words of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus is, is wonderful. That's what we need. We might find that there are things in life that help, but they only help in so far as they point us to Jesus. So if something is not pointing us to Jesus, it would not be wise to pursue it. Let's look to him and the wisdom that has come from heaven. So what about the character of wisdom? Back in this passage in James, he describes the, the character, characteristics, if you like, of the uh, wisdom of the world. He says in verse 14, but if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Uh, so that's the characteristics of a, of a type of wisdom, if you like, that doesn't regard God and isn't honouring Jesus. Ultimately, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the devil. Ultimately, this earthly wisdom 
He was envious with selfish ambition, boasting and denying the truth. So we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes we'll see those characteristics uh, on planet Earth. But what's God's wisdom like? The wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, is described in seven or eight uh, expressions. It's first of all, pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In a way, peace seems to be emphasised in how verse 18 follows on. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. There's not that much peace among the people of God at this point, And that's why uh, James is drawing their attention to this. Fill yourselves, teach yourselves, draw close to the wisdom from heaven in the words and the life of Jesus. Now let's go back to, to Luke chapter 9 and see what does this have to teach us about the, the character of wisdom. You see, something very interesting happens in the course of, of Luke chapter 9. Jesus has asked the disciples earlier on, who do people say I am? given a variety of different answers. But Peter pipes up and he's clear. You're the Christ. You are the chosen one. You're the Messiah. You're the saviour. He understands what he's started to understand. So that's where the disciples are at. They understand who Jesus is. But then Jesus starts to say things that really puzzle them. Predicting his own suffering and death. That happens in chapter 9, a couple of places and in one on one occasion, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus says, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. They started to understand who Jesus is. They did not understand what he was saying would happen. What is God up to what's going on it must have been so disorientating they've been with Jesus they've seen him up close they've heard him teach they've seen him do great things and now he's predicting his suffering a betrayal and ultimately that he's going to die they don't understand they don't ask him about it now bear that in mind so you read on in Luke chapter 9 to see how did they react that's the background. That's what's going on inside to some extent. They're scared and they're puzzled and they don't know and they don't understand what's going to happen. Well, here's what happened. First of all, an argument started among them about which of them would be the greatest. So there's this, this pride is bubbling up. Why are they having that conversation? It's bizarre in a way. Just a few verses later in verse 49, it says, Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. So with all that confusion and fear and feeling unsettled, they try and stop someone ministering in the name of Jesus just because they're not part of their little group. So they're, pr they're proud, they're becoming elitist, kind of snobbish towards other people who aren't part of their group. Sometimes churches, we can be like that. 
as though we're the great answer to the city's problems and these other churches are all getting it wrong, there can be a pride that sometimes kicks in for any of us. And sometimes it comes at times when we're feeling a bit scared, a bit worried, uncertain. And perhaps we're trying to find some security, trying to find something stable and solid, but these overreactions are spilling out from us, or can do. And then it goes on to another, uh, another example Um, They're going uh, up to Jerusalem. It says there, the end of Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as a time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them. I mean, that is just remarkable. They are ready to pounce in judgment on a village that didn't accept uh, Jesus. Now, there'd been lots of other villages, I suppose, where Jesus hadn't been accepted in Israel. They didn't seem to pounce on those in the same way. But this Samaritan group, this different, different ethnic, different religious group, they're ready to bring judgment. And think about it for a moment. If Jesus had said yes, James and John honestly thought that they could call to the Lord to send fire down. Oh, we've seen that happen in the Old Testament. I'm sure it could happen again. They're poised to to judge. Uh, It says Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. This isn't the time to be pouncing on people in judgment. But sometimes if insecurities are raised up in us, that's how we can react. And sometimes, dare I say, even react towards those who are maybe just a bit different from us, from a different community, from a different background, different ethnic group, whom we may not understand as well. Be ready to pounce. It's it's an example of the wisdom of the world. It's an example of tensions rising and humans not dealing with it. Now, the solution here is not just to be self-aware, but let's just look. You know, looking at uh, the tongue last week, you know, if we're noticing that our own words have a harshness to them, uh, we're losing our temper, then yes, it's, it's good to think, right, I, I want, I'm going to try and stop that. Um, I want to deal with that. I want to repent, turn away. Absolutely. Let's do that by considering what's going on in me deep down. What are the attitudes? What are the beliefs? What are the fears that are being stirred up? That, that's what needs to be tackled as well. that we're not kind of allowing uh, an unsettled situation to throw us into these kind of reactions, judging other people harshly, when really we need to kind of sit down and talk to ourselves for a moment and work out what are we reacting to. So let's look at the, uh, the character of, uh, of wisdom, because you see Jesus, he's not calling down judgment this is still tight this is a time of grace the invitation is still open thirdly we can see the outcome of wisdom back in James uh, and chapter 3 says something about the the outcome of wisdom says right at the beginning of the passage in verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom a life of Receiving the wisdom of God will lead to deeds, good deeds, 
done in humility. Being wise doesn't mean being proud, being impressed with ourselves. It means we're impressed with God. It means we're always ready to learn, ready to accept we might not have everything right. A wise person can be instructed. We can learn new things, uh, can grow by receiving advice rather than feeling I've always got to have the right answers. And Jesus demonstrates his humility on that occasion where the disciples are arguing amongst them about who's the greatest. Jesus could have walked into the middle of the group and just stuck his own hand up and says, guys, I'm here. I'm the greatest. The argument's over. But he doesn't come forward and present himself. He brings a child, puts the child alongside. He says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. So humble, so tender, even correcting and rebuking his disciples. But not in an offhand way. It's kind of leading, demonstrating a totally different spirit. If we're growing in that spirit, we're going to be growing in humility that's not pushing ourselves forward, trying to assert our dominance, but increasingly comfortable being the least among you all. Where role and prominence, it's not what matters. I want to serve a child. I want to honour what God might be doing um, in the least of my brothers. That's what it leads to. That's why it leads to peace. Because we're not fighting for prominence. We're not fighting to be highly regarded. We're content serving the purposes of God and serving our brothers and sisters. But to the disciples' credit, what they're doing here, they're recording their mistakes for our benefit. You know, there's a moment, again, back at the, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, while Peter was speaking, it says a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. The voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. You know, at that point, Moses and Elijah are not in view. This is about Jesus. He is the one that God has chosen. Listen to him. That's what we're called to do. Listen to Jesus in absolutely every situation, every season, every moment of life, digging into his word, receiving wisdom from the Lord, from the scripture, and and believing in it, receiving it, not leaning on our own understanding, not trusting in our own predictions about how the rest of the year will unfold. It really is. When, when, when life is uncertain, there is still a solution. Trusting in the Lord, not leaning on our own understanding, following Jesus and listening to him. Let's do that. And let's bless the world around us by making peace because we've listened to Jesus.